This evening we turn to Ephesians 5 and we're going to begin reading with verse 18, a section that really introduces this truth of submission that's going to be the subject of the Apostle over many verses. Ephesians 5 verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. The verses that we consider tonight are verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, one benefit of examining and hearing the Word of God in a particular book systematically, as we have been doing with the book of Ephesians, is that it somewhat forces a minister and a congregation 
uh, to consider the Word of God that perhaps they might set aside for many reasons. Even such a word as we consider tonight. Not so much perhaps because we are influenced by the world and reject this notion, but there may be other reasons that perhaps we set this word aside. It is a word that speaks to the rebel in our own souls, and therefore one that we are tending to dismiss. Or, there are many in the church that have abused authority. Husbands who use the fact that they are the head of their homes to bully and to hurt and harm their wives, almost always citing passages like this to silence the wife and, as it were, beat her into submission. And we, well, we don't want to offend anyone by then preaching this word that is being misused. There, there are many, many other reasons But by doing what we're doing, we now are confronted with this Word. And I hope, too, that we can see that such a reaction ought not to be if we really understand what this Word of God is. The Apostle mentions, right after this section, when speaking to the husbands, he makes a remarkable statement about what Christ does with the church. That he loves the church so that he might sanctify the church and cleanse it and then present the church a glorious church. That's been the theme of this series of sermons on Ephesians, the glory of the church, which glory is the church's beauty which beauty is the virtue of the church. Now what we ought to see is a large part of that cleansing, of that sanctifying, of that glory of the church, which is its beauty, is that the church submits to Christ. That's the connection. To put it another way, the submission of a wife to her husband which submission really can only happen in the church, is part of the beauty and the glory of the church. Even as it is part of the beauty and the glory of a godly, God-fearing marriage. And that's brought out when this section begins by speaking about the, the submission that we all owe to one another. That submission that is spoken about here with regard to the wife is not mentioned first, but it flows out of another kind of submission, and one that applies not just to women or just to wives, not just to children, but all of us. And we saw last week that that submission is the reverence and the honor that we owe to every single member of the church for their office. Every member holds an office. Therefore, every member has a certain authority 
given to them by Christ that we must recognize. And that is the glory of the church. Now the submission of a wife to her husband in the church is only one aspect of that. It flows out of that. It's not something that the Lord lays upon women and upon mothers, wives, uniquely and especially as if He singles them out, but this is simply a working out of that. But exactly because it is the submission of the church to Christ, which submission is lived out practically by us submitting to one another or a wife to her husband, you must see that that is what makes the church glorious, beautiful, oh, despised and hated by those who hate Christ, by those who will not submit to Christ, will not heed the yoke of God and His Word. It's no wonder they attack this. It's no wonder that this is an unpopular word. It's no wonder that in much of the church world this word is not preached. It is not brought to the attention of the congregation or indeed the married women and is even removed from marriage forms and vows. Consider with me this evening submitting to our husband, the calling, the explanation, and the motive. First, the calling. This calling that is laid upon the married women of the Church of Jesus Christ is not her only calling. In fact, it's not even her main calling. Oh, this calling is indeed emphasized. It is remarkable. It is noteworthy. Surely the wives of the congregation reading the Word have noticed that with only a few exceptions, every time the Word turns to the married woman in the church, the word is submit. Submit to your husband. It doesn't call her to submit to every man, like some suppose, but it focuses on her relationship to her husband and says, submit. In Colossians 3, verse 18, Colossians, remember, is almost a mirror of Ephesians. We read, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. There you have that calling, and you see that it's connected with what is fitting, what is appropriate in the Lord, much like our text. In 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and following, Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, and then it goes on to cite, as holy women were in subjection to their husbands, even as Sarah, who called Abraham her Lord. There's even a passage such as Titus 2, verses 4 and 5, which I cite because it's one of the ones that is an exception 
where there is something else that's given to women besides submission. It tells the older women to teach the younger women to love and obey their husbands. There, the obey has the idea of submission, but added is love also your husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed. So it is a calling that is emphasized central first and foremost with regard to the wives of the congregation. And yet we would make a mistake if we would see in the first place that that's her only calling. That would be a mistake. There are other callings of the wife in marriage, the woman in marriage. Usually there's a great calling toward her children, even a calling to submit to them because of the previous verses. A calling to bear them, a calling to rear them, a calling to raise them in the fear of the Lord. There is, as we just read in the passage in Titus, a calling of the older married women to teach the younger women. It's striking how often when it comes to the instruction of wives and mothers in the home and in marriage, that calling falls upon the older women. Not to the exclusion, of course, to others. But there's something about her calling, her work, her labor that is unique, that stands apart, that is something that women who have gone through it especially know. And so it's especially valuable, important that the older teach these things to the younger. One reason... It's very helpful to have a mixed-age Bible society and why it is a great mistake for younger women, even those who are recently married, to stand aloof or separated from the older women or for the older women to, as it were, elbow them aside and keep them out of their circle of people talking. Such should not happen in the church, and where it does, it's to a detriment of even marriage. And there are other callings toward her husband. She is called to be a help to him, a complement of him, that is to care for him, help him, and assist him in his calling. Her calling is to help him in his calling even before the Lord. Because, as we're going to see, he has a weighty, weighty calling laid upon him. It's the calling to be head, which means all the responsibility of that marriage and that family and those children before the Lord falls on him. And so weighty is that calling that it requires his wife to assist and help him. So submitting to her husband isn't her own calling, nor is it even her main calling. If we would think that that's her main calling, that too would be a mistake. In fact, her main calling is the exact same calling as her husband. And here we can take note that there is indeed a certain equality 
between husband and wife. The Bible teaches that. In fact, the passage we just read taught that. That husband and wife are both equal before the Lord. That both are equally saved and given the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. Both hold the same office of prophet, priest, and king. Both are loved by the Lord. Both are heirs of eternal life. Both are called into a kingdom of everlasting life in which neither will have authority over the other as such, at least that which is spoken of in the text. And that's reflected in the main calling of husband and wife, even as it's reflected in their calling toward one another as mutual members of the church. Namely, by loving her husband, and the husband, as we're going to see, loving his wife. You see, the first and the great commandment applies most especially in marriage. The first and the great commandment, and the second like unto it, is love the Lord thy God, which is brought up here in the text. But then when you go to the second part, love thy neighbor as thyself, it is in marriage that one finds the closest neighbor that one can have. Closer even than the neighbor the child might have in his parent. For a man leaves father and mother to be married. So you see, it's not simply that the husband has a calling to his wife and the wife now has a different calling, but her calling, her main and central and primary calling is just as his is to love and to love her husband for God's sake and to love her husband for God's sake as her closest neighbor and the closest neighbor as can be close only uniquely in marriage. And that must never be forgotten. In many ways, what applies to the husband applies to the wife. So why, so why does, when the Bible comes to the calling of husband and wife in the marriage, is it going to turn to the husband, and almost every time, just like the wife, it mentions one thing over and over and over again. Husbands, love your wives. And then why, when it turns to the wife, does it say, now wives, submit to your husbands? Why is that? And the answer is that exactly because of the position that each has within the marriage, and exactly because both husband and wife are sinners, those will be the two things that both husband and wife have difficulty, indeed impossibility, without God's grace to carry out. There is a reason why in the world what marks their marriages is that the husbands do not love their wives and what passes for love is not true love. And there is a reason why submission to the husband in marriage outside the church is non-existent. And the answer is because it requires the grace of God. These things are completely 
antithetical to the human spirit, the depraved nature of a human being. And therefore, when you give a man authority, even authority over someone he should love, over someone that he himself asked to marry him, whom he was attracted to, whom he might say is beautiful and lovely in his sight, who is a wonderful, wonderful creature, one who even submits to him and bows before him and fulfills his every need, as it were, his great, great tendency is going to be to hate his wife. He might call it love. He might suppose it's love. But the husband who's given that position of headship will be most tempted not to love his wife. So the Bible has to hammer it home. Husbands, love, love, love. And the same thing is true with regard to the wife. When you look at the wife and her calling toward her husband, one might even say it's more natural that she love him. That she love him while at the same time not submitting to him. To imagine she loves him. The most difficult thing because of her depravity and especially now because of his natural abuse of his position and authority, she needs to be reminded, you must submit. You must submit to your husband. That's going to be the one great weakness. That's going to be the one great sin in this relationship. And there's another reason, and it has to do with nature the nature of marriage itself. It has to do with the institution of marriage. You see, God made marriage. God is, marriage is God's institution, and He made it a certain way. And that's why the example of a body and a head are brought to bear. To really understand what marriage is, to really understand the union of marriage, how it works, what makes it work, you have to think of a body and a head, and you have to see that in that relationship, the body and head, the entity as a whole, can function only when the body is submissive to the head. When we are properly functioning, and if we are to prosper, if we are to live our life as an individual, then that must be what it is. In fact, it's almost foolish. It almost seems silly if we would have to tell our body, now you submit to your head. You fingers, you obey what that head is telling you to do and you arms and your legs, make sure that you're heeding the instructions that come from the head. We would, we would almost laugh and we would say, well, that, well, that's natural. That's the way it is. And that's the point. You see, God made marriage the same way. God knows what he's doing. God is going to bring in the wonderful, wonderful relationship of marriage, two together in one flesh. Two. Two independent spirits, 
two independent and separate minds and hearts and wills, two completely different fleshes and bodies, and bring them together as one. Now in that union of flesh, there will be yet two minds and two hearts and two wills and the two individuals that say, I, and yet they're one flesh. And the only way that can work is if one submits to the other. And so God made it the way that he did because it's truly the only way marriage works. Now you could ask another question, why does God want marriage to be that way and why did God make it that way? And then you have to go to what marriage represents. But that's coming ahead, even though it's hinted at in the text here when it brings this whole business down to the Lord and our salvation. But keep in mind, that's another reason this is so emphasized. It's as if the Lord is speaking to his body and reminding it this is the only way it's going to work. And that really shouldn't be the way it is. That shouldn't be necessary even as it really is not necessary in your own body. We would instantly recognize what would happen if our hand would just fly off and do its own thing and not listen to the body. We would say there's something wrong with an individual. We have to examine what's wrong. So also in marriage. Now, as we move on, we have to understand precisely what's being required here, and we may be somewhat brief because we considered some of this with regard to ourselves and one another. What's being required here is indicated when the apostle adds that we are to do this as unto the Lord and then explains that the wife has to submit even as the church submits to Christ. Now why is that important? Because it indicates two things. Number one, that submission is not owed uniquely by the wife to her husband. But it's really the same kind of submission that she first renders to others in the church and, more especially, to her Lord Jesus Christ. That's fundamental. No wife can submit to her husband, nor will she submit to her husband if she doesn't understand that that submission is simply an extension of her submission to her Lord Jesus Christ. To put it another way, if there is a woman who will not submit to her husband, refuses to submit to her husband, it's because she, first of all, will not submit to her Lord Jesus Christ. And any woman who says, I submit to my Lord Jesus Christ, but refuses to submit to her husband, is lying. This is simply an extension of that. It's not some separated, distinct individual calling that comes and falls upon her, singles her out, as it were. And therefore, the submission that's required of the wife here isn't owed exclusively and only by wives. But it's something we all have to do to all authority. It has to do with our relation to one another. We all are all called to submit to the certain authority that we all have by office, by our office of prophet, priest, and king. But the submission that a wife owes to her husband is really and essentially no different than the submission that the fifth commandment requires of me to the state or a child to the parent, as we're going to see. So let's understand that. If as wives 
Or even if we as a church cringe, or we would say, we really, we really don't want that included in our marriage. We really, we really, could we skip this word? Really, essentially then have a problem with our own relationship to one another and our own relationship to really all authority and especially the authority of Christ himself. That's really what's at stake here. All this comes back to the Lord. And so when we preach on marriage, when we live in marriage, when we consider our thoughts in marriage, what's at stake really and where it all flows out of truly is how one stands before Christ as a member of the church and as a church itself. The church itself that does not receive this word, the individual wife that will not receive this word, essentially does not and will not submit to Christ. This is his word. Now what is submission? Again, submission is basically an attitude. It's an attitude based on knowledge. It's an attitude in the heart based on what knows, one knows. And what does one know? And what is that attitude concern? And the answer is that it's simply the acknowledgement and the honoring of the authority that Christ has given to someone else. In this case, the husband. That's all it is. It's for the wife to acknowledge. For the wife to honor for the wife to submit to even the reality that Christ has given to her husband authority over her. It's that simple. It must be distinguished from obedience and obeying. We use them interchangeably, and we do that because obeying generally is how one shows submission. Obedience is the outward action that flows from the inward attitude of submission. So generally, if one submits to another, he obeys that other. So that we do use those interchangeably, but they have to be distinguished and we have to see that they're different things. First Peter 3 mentions that. Holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husband even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. There's two different words. They're connected but they're not exactly the same thing. Subjection is an inner invisible attitude of the heart whereby one regards the husband as given authority from Christ and therefore consciously and willingly places her own will and her own desires under that authority. It is essentially to take the will that is in one's own heart, the desires of one's own heart, and recognize that authority and therefore subject that will to the will of another. That's what it is. And generally, that's displayed or showed in obedience. Literally obeying that will as it's expressed. That's what it is with regard to us. If you want to know what submission is, simply look at our relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ and ask, what is it all about? 
Submission to our Lord Jesus Christ is this, that in our own heart and in our own soul, we recognize He is our Lord. He is the one who bought us. He is the one who rules over us. He is the one right has the right to tell us what to do. And then therefore, we obey Him. Now why do they have to be distinguished? Because of this. Submission is absolutely, 100%, without any exceptions whatsoever, unconditional and unqualified. When this Word of God comes to the wife, it says to her, submit to your husband in all things. In all things. That's what it says. So let the wives be subject to their wives in everything. That's the Bible's way of saying there's no exceptions here. No matter what the circumstances, no matter the situation, no matter the husband, no matter how wicked he might be, no matter how much evil he has done, you must submit to him. And again, this is not anything unique and strange with regard to wives. Jesus Christ is not requiring of them anything that He doesn't require of us. For example, the state. Our calling to submit to the state is absolutely without qualification. We are called to submit to the kings and governors and rulers regardless of what they do. Regardless of how wicked they are. It's unqualified. We must always recognize the state and its authority as having that authority from God. It doesn't matter how they use it. doesn't matter how they abuse it. doesn't matter what they do with it. We must regard the authority because it comes from Christ. But obedience isn't like that. Obedience has a qualification. Obedience has an exception. Because there's only one that we obey without qualification, and that is Christ. We may never say to Christ, no, not going to do it. Or if we do that, it's rebellion. But that is not owed to any other except Christ. We must obey Christ rather than men. So, for example, that husband to which the wife submits orders that wife to do something unlawful, then she may disobey. Notice it must be something unlawful, something that she may not do because Christ commands her to do something else. It's not that she may disobey whatever she likes, whatever she feels is wrong, whatever she feels is not compatible with her own thoughts and desires. It's she may obey that which Christ tells her she may not obey. Because to do that would be to disobey Christ. That's pretty clear. But notice that important difference. Even then, though, she submits. How so? Well, in the same way that you would submit to the state if you had to disobey the state. The state may come along like it did in the time of Pharaoh and say, all you mothers... We're sick of all your children and taking care of them. Throw them in the proverbial Nile. Kill them. Slaughter them. You are allowed only this many children. Kill the rest. And the godly mother will say, No. I'm not going to do it. 
Those are God's children. Those are covenant children. And I may not take their life. Disobey. But submit. How? The state may say, well then, mother, you're going to jail for the rest of your life. Or, well, mother, then we'll take your life. We'll give you an injection and make sure you don't live another breath. And the submission is, very well, go ahead. You see, that's why they must be distinguished and why it's important to distinguish. Because that's the only way that we can truly, truly submit and truly, truly obey and yet be submission and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of different ways that the wife can sin against that. I'm not going to get into all of them. One is simple, open rebellion. The wife is in the habit of saying, no, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to carry that out. Or to say yes, yes, but mean no, no. That happens too. Out of the mouth comes yes, yes. Good idea, good idea. I will follow, I will follow. But in the heart is despising, hating, trying to subvert, undermine, undo. This is a calling really to all of us. All of us in the church and all of us as members in the church. This Word of God comes, of course, directly to the wife with a particular object, her husband. But I want to emphasize in all of this, this is essentially no different than the calling of every single one of us in one way or another. There is no one, and that is by the design of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is not under authority. And it's a mistake to assume that the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ that He brings means that you're delivered and freed from all authority in this life except that of Jesus Christ. That's the thinking of the false church. That Jesus saves me in such a way and delivers me in such a way that I have to obey no one, I have to submit to no one except for Him. That's essentially rebellion against Him, disguised as obedience. Now, what's the reason for this commandment? What underlies it? What's behind it? Well, we talked about some of that already. In the first place, it's because Christ has given the husband authority. The very authority that's being recognized, it's called headship. So that the reason for this submission is rooted in this truth that the wife knows. It's what elsewhere is called being of a sound mind. The wife that has a sound mind knows the truth about her husband. And notice that. It's, it's not that the wife makes her husband head by her submission. He's the head in the marriage, whether she likes it or not, and whether he accepts it or not. That's, that's one reason, by the way, why the Bible, I, I believe the Bible never ever comes to the husband and see, says, now be the head of your wife. And search the Scriptures and see if you can find me a text. Husbands, be the head of your wife. No, you are the head of your wife. You're the head of the wife by virtue of marriage, by virtue of your position in that marriage. With that comes the authority, the authority of headship. 
And the wife simply acknowledges that and recognizes that. And she does so over against all the foolishness of what everybody else says. That's the amazing thing here. This is why that belongs to the glory of the church. Because this is not the message of the world. This is not the message of marriage philosophy in the world. This is not the message that you will find anywhere outside of the church. Even in the church now, the message is you're equals. You're equal before the Lord. In Christ there is no male and female. There is no slave. There is no owner. Therefore, no submission. No. That's not the Bible. That's not Jesus Christ. The premise is true, but the conclusion is false. The premise is true, but the conclusion is, nevertheless, there are positions of authority in this world. The fifth commandment holds true and must be carried out. And the Bible emphasizes this to the wife exactly because it knows her heart. This is repeated over and over again not only, though, because of the wife, because Christ, who knows His bride, who knows us, and knows that we are rebels. It's not that the wife is a unique rebel, that this is a unique sin of women, that when they get in marriage, they're not going to submit to their husbands, oh, those women. No. This woman is a human being. She is a daughter of Eve and a daughter of Adam, and therefore she is naturally a rebel, just like you, husband. And even more, and the more and more I look at this Word of God, I'm convinced this is true. The Bible comes to the wife and says, submit to your husband because it knows the husband. He too is a rebel, and as a rebel, he's going to be inclined to take this authority, this you might say, very tiny bit of authority. It's not over a lot. It's over his wife and his family. It's not over kingdoms and principalities and great powers. It's just simply that. It's authority over a lovely, lovely woman who is his complement. A wife who, in many cases, would die for her husband, who literally gives her life for her husband, who waits on him hand and foot, who takes care of his every need, and he bullies her. He uses his authority, he uses his power to demean her, to place her in a subjection that's reserved for the worst slaves. As we're going to see in the next verse, I think that's really what the apostle has in mind. Did you see how many verses he spends talking to the husbands about this? Just a couple with the wives. I think the focus is on the husbands. Nevertheless, it has to be said. We ourselves have to be reminded of this. She must also know that God gave her husband this position, even though they're equals in Christ even though they both belong to Christ, even though they are both heirs of the kingdom of heaven, that's found elsewhere. That's acknowledged. This doesn't remove that. This doesn't eliminate it. In fact, it enforces it, especially in this earth. But more than that, the explanation of this is because Christ is the head of the church, and the body is the bride of Christ. 
That's what underlies all of this. The wife must submit because she understands the position of the church to Christ. That her own marriage, her own life with her husband, she represents the church. She stands for the church. She shows before all the world what the church is in relationship to Christ. And everywhere and in all things. That is, there's no sphere of authority wherein the church and its members don't submit to Christ. That's what she's showing. That every member submits to Christ. And exactly because of that, wives have to submit to their husbands. Because there's, there's no place where this doesn't hold true. It's not wiped out and eliminated in marriage. She submits to Christ not just on Sunday at church, but in every sphere of life. Submits to Christ even as the church through things that are very hard and difficult. Think about, think about the relationship of the church to Christ. Nowhere, in no circumstances, at no time is the church independent from Christ. Does it get to do what it wants and act according to its will? And this is not some great evil. This is not some great oppression upon the church. The church under that doesn't say, this is terrible, this is wrong. Why can't we go out and do whatever we want? No, the church says, this is good. This is the way it needs to be. This is the way of blessedness. This is the way of true happiness. This is the way of completion and fulfillment. It's the way of submission to my Christ, my Lord. The way of living with Him, of serving Him, of obeying Him. In that way, the church is blessed in time and eternity. And so also the Christian wife. And that's what the Apostle is getting at when he says, Therefore, as the church is an objection to Christ, so let the wives. Why he adds, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Notice those two lines. We'll speak more on them when we get to the husband too. But what's he saying? He's saying, well, he's really giving motivation there. He's encouraging the wives. He makes clear the calling. He makes also the explanation plain in those words. What's behind this? Is this something arbitrary? Is this a come out of the mind of God arbitrarily? No. It has to do with our relationship to Christ, but that's also the motivation. In other words, what it, it has to do with the, the love of the wife for Christ, it has to do with the love of wife even for herself as being saved by Christ. Let me explain. What the Apostle is saying is there is the husband is the Savior of the body even as Christ is the Savior of the church. Now, not in the same sense, not in the same way or from the same things. But what he's pointing out there is that is the way of blessedness. Do you desire to be saved? Do you desire to be saved from your sins? Do you desire to be blessed and happy. What's the way? How does that happen? And the answer is only in the way of submission to Christ. There's no other way. It can't possibly be. Any other way, you're in rebellion to Him. Any other way, you're running from Him and fleeing from Him. You're despising His salvation. And, and the same thing has to be the view, really, in the marriage. This is the way that's good for me. This is the way that's good for the marriage. This is the way that is blessed and right and true. And that can only really be done if one loves the Lord of that marriage, the Lord who gave 
that authority, who knew what he was doing, who gave that authority even to a sinner, perhaps an unrepentant sinner who needs to be excommunicated from the church. It doesn't matter. The woman ultimately is submitting to Christ, and it's her love for the Lord that moves her to do so. And that's why when you search the Scriptures, you're going to see a couple of things. Number one, this is something only truly a God-fearing woman of faith can do. And this is why it's so highly valued. That's Proverbs. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. The virtuous woman. The value and the price of that, far above rubies. Why is that? And the answer is because that virtue is from Christ. It's from God. Not everyone has it. He doesn't give it to everyone. It's a gift. It's a very gift of His salvation. It's not natural. No woman can naturally do this, no more than we can naturally save ourselves. And that's really the problem with those who ignore this word and try to redirect this calling of women in the church. They forget this inseparable connection between husband and wife in marriage and the church and Christ. Between that calling and our blessedness. That is the Word of God to you mothers in Israel, to you wives who have many examples even in the Scriptures that are brought there. And remember this. This is the glory of the church. This is the blessedness of the church. This is the beauty, the true beauty of the church. That Christ takes us rebels, male and female, and He makes us to submit to Him. And not in a way that we are resistant and hateful, except by nature, but He makes us willing and ready henceforth to submit to Him, to follow His will, to the point where that's even done in a marriage, an earthly marriage, the institution of marriage that's simply for a time and between two sinners, and that gains glory to God who works it, who is the Savior of the body. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we thank Thee for our Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation, the salvation that consists of our submission to His will and obedience of Him, which submission and obedience is reflected even in our own relationships one to another and a wife with regard to her husband. So grant this, Lord, that we truly may be a church of beautiful, lovely, glorious marriages and a lovely, beautiful, glorious church of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.